0: This morning's reading is from Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 22, and going through to Isaiah 44, verse 23. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not bought any fragrant calamus for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his full. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see and their minds closed, so that they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I use for fuel. I even bake bread over its coals. I roasted meat, and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself, or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things, Jacob. For you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. This is God's word.
1: Wonderful. Do keep um, your Bibles open at that passage, and let me pray as we uh, turn to it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in in many ways, this passage feels quite removed from our experience. Uh, It feels like it was written a long time ago, and yet... Um, it is incredibly contemporary, Father, as, we're, as we look at it, would we be challenged? Um, would our own lives and hearts um, be exposed? And would we see the depth of your mercy uh, towards us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. wonder if you've ever had the experience of feeling weary of God weary, where where following him, continuing to trust him, just feels like too much. It feels too hard. It it feels like he's asking too much of you to follow him, like you're you're having to give up um, so much. And others around you, as you look around, others who wouldn't say that they trust in the Lord seem to be happier, healthier, having a much better time. Do you ever feel, Lord, I'm just I'm weary of following You? I guess all of us have, will have felt that to some extent, um, in some way, uh, no matter how long we've been uh, following Him. Well, in this part of Isaiah, God addresses a weary people. They're not just weary of the circumstances in their lives; they're weary of Him. They're weary of following Him. You'll see it in um, if you flick back to the opening uh, verses that we had read, forty-three, chapter 43 from verse 22, that little opening section, we get this idea of weariness three times, and um, three times it's used um, in those opening verses in different ways. The first is where the people are saying, look, we're weary of you, God, we're weary of you. Verse 22, yet you have the Lord speaking says, yet you have not called on me, Jacob, you have not wearied yourselves for me. Or if you look at the little um, little footnote i think is is helpful for understanding what's going on there it says it could also be surely you have grown weary of me israel that's what the lord says you have grown weary of me israel israel remember they're, they're supposed to be god's servant they have the privileged position of knowing him and of proclaiming his glory to the nations around them but they're weary of God. They know God's promises, but they're tired of trusting in them. They're tired of of, of trusting in them when their lives feel quite difficult in the here and now, and it just seems too much to keep trusting God. They're saying, look, you've told us to call on you. You've told us to pray to you, and yet it seems to get us nowhere. What's the point? Why should we even bother? We are weary of you, God. And God responds um, by by turning their complaint round on them. They're saying, we're weary of you, God. But verse 23, God says, I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. God says, you're weary. Why? Why are you weary? I have not asked too much of you. Now, there were some sacrifices um, in the Old Testament system. Of course, there were. Um, But they're not even in Jerusalem anymore. The people are out in exile. Um, And the only um, gods that are demanding sacrifices are the gods of the nations. God says, I have not wearied you. In fact, verse 24, if anyone has the right to be weary, it is the Lord. They are wearing him with their sin, verse 24. God says, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me. With your offences, see even as the people are are, are sent into exile uh, in punishment for their rebellion against God, for their turning from Him, they are still um, sinning. They're just heaping it up and up and up uh, like a big a big burden, a big uh, mountain. They will not trust Him, and the Lord says it is wearying. The Israelites they deserve to be blotted out for their sin. But then, verse 25, almost out of nowhere comes this extraordinary promise. Verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Almost out of nowhere. And the Israelites, they've they've not reformed their ways. They've not turned back to the Lord. And yet... God promises to blot out their transgressions and remember their sins no more. Why is that? Why does he do it? Well, he tells us for his own sake. That is to, to show his glory, to show his extraordinary patience and mercy to his sinful people. And that basically, in those, in those three verses, um, is basically a, 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 mic, uh, a sort of summary of this whole passage. We see that the the response, God's response, fleshed out in the rest of the reading. God says, you're weary? Come on, guys, look at what I have done for you. You keep turning away from me to these worthless idols. That is wearying. You turn away to these idols who cannot do anything. You expend your energy and trying to make gods that will save you when I am the one who can deal with your sin. I am the one who has promised to blot it out. So return to me, God says. So that's what we're going to spend um, our time looking at Um, the outlines on your handout if you find that helpful when we are weary of God. Well, firstly, God does not weary us. Secondly, we weary God with our sin. And the response that God calls for, thirdly, return to the God who sweeps away your sin. Firstly then, God does not weary us. In verses 26 to 28, we'll not read them again, but but the exile, remember, was because of the people's sin. They'd been sent away because they had rebelled against him. God asks, why does it seem so hard to trust me Despite Israel's weariness at following God, God's promises to, to them remain. Verse uh, Chapter 44 from verse 1. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says, he who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. See, Israel, they are God's chosen servant. He made them. He will help them. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, that's, those are the repeated promises that we get again and again in this part of Isaiah. You're my servant. I've chosen you. I will be with you. I will help you. Um, he, God has to say it to them again and again, um, almost like the, the repeated comfort of a, of a parent to a sad child, God says, I will, I'm here. I will not abandon you. I will help you. I love you. They are Jacob, his servant. God even calls them Jeshurun, which means upright one. They are far from upright. And yet God says, you are my upright people. But I wonder, does that give you a question? How can God do that? How can God choose to to overlook their sin and be gracious to them? And in in this little passage, we're not really um, told that other than the fact that he is God and he is doing it for his own sake. But later in Isaiah, we'll see this this idea of the servant um, traced through. We'll see the true servant of God not Israel, but another, who will succeed where Israel has failed. The servant who will be faithful to God and yet will suffer, will suffer to bear the sins of the people. And this side of the cross, and we know that that is speaking of Jesus, that Jesus is the true servant who always served his father faithfully, How is it that that God can just blot out the sin of his people? Well, because Jesus was burdened with his people's sin. He took it. And in verses um, three to five, we get a little picture um, of life under this servant. Life after God has dealt with our sin. And it is, Isaiah says, like water poured on a thirsty land. It is a picture there of God's Spirit poured out on His people. Where there was once um, nothing, wilderness, desolation, now there is life and health. Verse 5, Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name of Israel. See here, having experienced the, the life-giving um, spirit, the people are now no, now no longer saying, well, I'm, I'm weary of you, God. No, now they're rejoicing to say, I belong to the Lord. They even, and they even write it on their hands, um, a little bit like a, like a, like a child would, would write um, their best friend's name on their hand just because they love them so much. Look, we're in, we're in the same club, we're, we're, we're together somehow. That's what the people will do. And why would you not want to belong to a God who has done this for you? Who doesn't look on your failures and say, well, that's enough. I've had enough. It, it, it's time to move on. But who looks on your sin and says, I will deal with it. I will blot it out. See, we might, we might become weary of God, but he never becomes weary. Uh, he, he doesn't weary us. He doesn't weary us. He is kind and merciful towards us. And so look, if, you, if you're feeling weary of God this morning, you do know how good he is, don't you? Remember how good he is. Remember what he has done for you. The promises that he has made promises to forgive you promises to blot out your sin. Those promises can, can be hard to remember when we feel weary, weary of life, weary of following God when it just feels too much. But the Lord is gracious. He is merciful towards us. It is not a wearisome thing to follow Him when He loves us like this. It's not a weary thing to follow the Lord. But secondly, we do weary God with our sin. How have they wearied God? Well, in this, in this uh, passage, quite clearly, by turning from him and trusting in idols. That's what the sort of central section um, is all about, this extraordinary, extraordinary sort of brutal assessment of the foolishness of trusting in something that their own hands have made idolatry why why is it so bad uh, to turn and trust in idols well f- three things um, I think we see in in these verses they're just made by human hands firstly secondly they're just made of, of created stuff and thirdly they blind those who trust in them what we get is is a little bit like a, a sort of fly on the wall documentary um you know you can just imagine that the, the film crew following um, this person around just watching observing maybe asking some questions what, what are you doing now what is it you're making verse 12 the blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals he shapes an idol with hammers he forges it with the might of his arm he gets hungry and loses his strength he drinks no water and grows faint to these idols in the end they are just made from human hands they're made with the might of this person's arm and sometimes that it you know it's not it's not denying that it's made with real skill and genuine strength but even in this passage even the even the maker of this idol gets tired and weary needs a break And if that is true of of the one who makes the idol, how much more the idol itself? It is just something that human beings have made. It is, secondly, just made out of ordinary material. It's made out of the same stuff that, that the maker uses to keep himself warm Verse 15, it is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, he is, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my God. See, this idol maker, he, he takes something that is good, that is useful, but he asks it to do something that it was never created to do. He asks it to save him, to bear his burden. And this is where, I guess, um, this passage comes home to us in a particularly striking way, isn't it? That, that we so often take a good thing, um, something that the Lord has given us, something that is useful uh, to us, but out of it we make a God, we make an idol, we say, save me. We place our hope um, in it. We ask it to, to protect us. That could be any number of things, couldn't it? It could be, uh, it could be money. Well, as long as I've got a bit of money in the bank, I'll be safe. It could be our health. Well, as long as I feel like I can get up in the morning and, and do something and work, um, it could be our, our homes, literally made of, of, of bricks and mortar could be even our our families or other relationships. What is the thing that we will fall back on when everything else falls away? Good things and useful things that the Lord has given us. And yet we ask them to do things they were never created to do. They're just ordinary. And yet they have an extraordinary effect on us and see how the idol maker becomes like the idol. They're blind, they're not able to do anything. Verse nine, all who make idols are nothing and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit nothing? people who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. It's a devastating assessment, isn't it? A devastating verdict on those who have worked hard to create fashion. This thing says, as I says, no, you're blind. You're ignorant. You've done it for nothing. He continues with that assessment in verse 18. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person, excuse me, feeds on ashes A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? To trust in idols is so devastating because we cannot see the foolishness of it. You become like the idol with with no eyes to see. Not able to see that the, the thing you've created, the thing that you've placed your hope in, is a lie. They can't see that, that the thing they've made will never satisfy them. And it's like eating a mouthful of ashes. They'll gain nothing from it. And of course, we think, you know, that, that is foolish. Why would anyone do that? You know, of course, in, in many places around our world and even in our city, and this sort of thing still happens in a, in a physical way. But also, let's, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. How does that happen in our own lives? I wonder if, if, if a documentary crew f- followed you um, for the next couple of weeks. If they made comment on uh, what you did. If they wrote it up. What sorts of things that w- would they see that you're, you're trying to build your life on? What is it that that takes up your time and your energy? What would it show about about the thing you look to for security and safety and salvation? What would it expose in our own hearts about what it is that we look away from the Lord uh, to trust in, the human-made, ordinary things um, that we so easily make into God's It's a confronting question, isn't it? And I guess the the point of this passage is we may well be blind to it. We may not even be able to see it um, in our own lives. God has not wearied us. We have wearied him with our sin. But that is not the end of the story, is it? What will God do? I wonder what you and I would do in a similar situation. Someone kept turning away when you've been generous and gracious. I think I would be tempted to say, right, that's it, enough. But God is not like that. He comes back round to his extraordinary promises. We'll see thirdly and finally that God says, return to me who sweeps away your sin. Verse 21 of chapter 44. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant, I have made you, you are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God calls on them to to remember, to remember the promises that he's been giving them chapter after chapter. You are my servant, I will not forget you. He promises again to deal with their sin he says their offenses will be swept away like a cloud just just a, a, a puff of wind and they'll be gone like the morning mist that is is hanging there one moment and then the next moment that the power of the Sun has just melted it away like it was never there And so the Lord calls on his people to return to me. He's saying, look, don't mess around with those useless idols. Come to me. Trust in me, the one who actually has the power to deal with your sin. And that is not a a wearying life. It is a life of rejoicing. See how he ends in verse 23. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forest, and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. This redemption, what God does for his people, is so extraordinary that the heavens and the earth join in in rejoicing. The stars and the mountains and the trees that are no longer being chopped down and and carved into idols, but are praising the Lord for his redemption of his people, that he has been gracious to these unworthy people. For feeling weary of God this morning, remember what he has done for you. He is, if you're trusting in Christ, he is your redeemer. He does not weary you. He forgives you. He forgives you even when you you turn away from him and look to idols. And so like the people of Israel, he is calling us to return to him and to keep trusting in him. And to know that in doing that, we can rejoice. It is what life, it is how life was meant to be lived. It is what he created us to do and to be, to join with all creation in praising him for his extraordinary mercy to us. Let's pray together as we close. Father, you know um, the, the weakness of our own hearts. You know how quickly we turn away from you and look to any number of things and ask them to save us. Father, how foolish we are when you are the one who is our redeemer, when you are the one who is powerful enough and generous enough and gracious enough to sweep our sins away. Father, we praise you that you have done that through the Lord Jesus, that he was burdened and that we might know the joy of sins forgiven. Father, please, would we... And commit ourselves again to turning away from those other things and trusting in you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.